Welcome everyone to Breaking Big Blue. I'm your host Jordan Ron on ESPN, ESPN.com Giants reporter here covering your two and two New York Giants. How about that? Daniel Jones is now 2-0 as a starter. The defense actually played well. Let's be honest, the Washington Redskins, an absolute train wreck right now. They were a mess in that game. Giants handled them pretty easily. Final score, 24-3. The Dwayne Haskins versus Daniel Jones matchup. And let's start out with the good and bad. And the good here is that... You look at that, and it's early. We don't know how this is going to turn out. The Redskins are a mess. Uh, they put in Dwayne Haskins, which doesn't make any sense, without getting giving him any snaps during the week. Uh, somebody tell me what the heck that is. That's just stupid, if you ask me. But that's what the Redskins did. And it showed you that right now, and right now at least, look, we're in year one. We're only four weeks into the season. Daniel Jones is way further along than Dwayne Haskins. Like, there's no doubt about that. That's what we saw the other day. The way they throw the ball, the way they read defenses, it's not even close right now. Now, we don't know how ultimately this will turn out, but the early returns look like the Giants and Dave Gettleman and Pat Shermer made the right pick. Daniel Jones, he struggled a little bit in the game. He threw two interceptions, but he bounced back. And look, he threw for... You know, over 200 yards with a touchdown, and that's what's shutting it down in the fourth quarter. Because let's be honest, the Giants were cruising, the Redskins were a mess. They didn't have to do anything for the whole fourth quarter. Nothing. Sterling Shepard, Evan Ingram, again, his two favorite targets for Daniel Jones. Those are the two guys that you got to watch here. In this offense, with the way they're working in the middle of the field, Pat Shermer and those crossing routes, getting the ball in their hands quickly and letting them Make place. And that's what Daniel Jones does well. His ball placement is excellent. Sterling Shepard talked about it this week. You really like that. It's right there for them to get it and run. And those two guys, they're playmakers. And now you add Golden Tate to that mix. He comes back from suspension. Say what you want about Golden Tate. This is a proven NFL receiver. He can make plays. The Giants have him now this week immediately against the Minnesota Vikings. I spoke to Tate's trainer. He's ready to go. They were out there. He was in his helmet and shoulder pads in San Diego with his trainer, Todd Durkin, training alongside uh, Melvin Gordon and with uh, Luis Perez as the quarterback. Luis Perez is a guy who is in uh, has been with the Lions, Rams, and Eagles in the last year. So an NFL-caliber quarterback running the full route tree, trying to stay in shape as much as possible. So now they have another weapon. And Saquon Barkley... He's on the horizon, right? His return. He was out today is Wednesday. He was out there running a little bit today. Actually, more than a little bit. Impressed. The fact that he was, it's not that he was running. The fact that he's out there out of the boot, not a surprise to me, running. If he was just doing straight line runs, fine. I would expect that almost from him. Probably a superhuman healer. He's Saquon Barkley. Almost in the, the realm, and someone told me this that knows Saquon, of like AP. Right? Adrian Peterson. Now he tore his knee and he was just a, you know, mythical healer. Just legendary. Just such as body is a freak. And Evan, Aber- Evan Ingram today said, uh, and today's Wednesday and I'm taping this, said, you know, guys, I think the guy's body was made in a lap. Like that's what you just get the feeling you get with Saquon. But he starts cutting. He's not just running straight line and jogging. No. He's zigzagging and cutting. You're not supposed to be doing that 10 days 
after a high ankle sprain that's supposed to keep him out four to eight weeks. No, you're not. But this guy is probably a superhuman healer. So now, from what I understand, he's not going to play this week. I know Pat Shermer wouldn't rule him out. He's not playing this week against the Vikings. If he does, it's a miracle. He's eyeing more likely next week. The problem is next week the Giants play a Thursday night game, so short week. So I think, this is my opinion, I guess next week there's a chance, but more likely the Giants are going to play it safe, which they have to do. This is their this is their future, right? And as somebody had the shirt uh, in the stands the other day, it said Jones and Barkley as like you know almost like running mates twenty twenty in twenty twenty. Like that's what this team needs to be. They they can't let that big picture disappear. That needs to be in the back of their mind. They have to make sure that everybody's good, everybody's healthy going forward for the future. But still, positive sign that Saquon Barkley was on the field. Positive sign that the Giants' defense went out there and played well. They played well in the second half against the Bucks. They allowed only three points. I know the Bucks still should have scored in game-winning field goal, but that was an improvement in the second half. Again, against the Redskins, that was an improvement. Sure, the Redskins missed some deep balls to Trey Quinn. Could have hit two touch big touchdown home runs. They didn't. Giants' defense still played better. And Pat Shermer said they made some tweaks. And I saw it. I went back and watched it. Some of the tweaks, a lot less blitzing. The Giants, I think, sent more than four rushers maybe three times in the entire game. They sat back. They simplified like to the nth degree. They were already simplified. They're playing, and this is sort of to cover up for their linebacker deficiency. Five, four, three, five defensive backs, six defensive backs, as much as seven defensive backs at times. I saw times, and they used a lot of safeties. Mike Thomas, he's going to be a big part of this defense as the third safety. Because the Giants, and he should have been anyway, because the Giants never had a linebacker that could really cover in the nickel. So you might as well play the safety. And they did it. Mike Thomas, heaviest usage this week, this past week against the uh, Redskins. They even had Mike Thomas and Sean Chandler out there with Jabril Peppers and Antoine Bethea. So they had four safeties on the field at times. These are some of the tweaks you saw. You saw way more two defensive line packages. The Giants aren't getting that pass rush from the defensive linemen. They don't have the defensive linemen up front to get consistent pass rush. So what's their solution? To go with less defensive linemen. Bring other guys from other angles. Even if it's four rushers, sometimes it's the safety. Sometimes it might be a corner. And that's their solution. And their pass rush has been better the last two weeks. Their cornerbacks have played better. Janaris Jenkins, sure, he played against Paul Richardson. It's a lot easier to go against Paul Richardson than it is in Mike Evans. But he played much better. Earned NFC Defensive Player of the Week honors. Had two interceptions and really forced another as well. Thank you, Case Keenum, that first one. Tried to force a throw in there, very unnecessarily. Jenkins coverage, though, very good. DeAndre Baker, playing much better. You like to see that. Now, they didn't really test him, and there wasn't really a great receiver out there. This week, Minnesota Vikings probably be a much bigger test. And Wayne Gallman, how about that? He steps in. I've heard people, they didn't think he was very good. They didn't think Wayne Gallman could bring much. I think Wayne Gallman can play. He's not a great player. But you get by with Wayne Gallman for a little bit. The dude can run the ball. 
And he did that very well the other day. His numbers, the final numbers, that end up less than four yards a carry. But again, that's because the Giants shut it down. Right? They were just playing it tight to the vest. They knew the game was over. They just had to not turn it over in the fourth quarter. Run it, run it, run it, punt it. Run it, run it, run it, punt it. Maybe throw a rare pass in there, safe passes. So Wayne Gallman caught the ball well out of the backfield. You like that. So I think they'll, they'll be able to get by with Wayne Gallman for another week or two. Now, that here's the thing. They'll face a much bigger test because the next two weeks is the real test for Daniel Jones and the Giants offense. And this, let's be honest, the offense is going to have to carry this team. They face the Vikings this week, and then they face the Patriots the next week. You can easily make the argument. Those are the two best defenses in the NFL. That's how good both those defenses are, I think. I think both of those are dynamite defenses. So we're going to see. If Daniel Jones can play well in these games or even one of these two games, hold his hold his own. He doesn't need to go out there and kill it. If he does go out there and kill it in any of these games and they, they steal one of these two games, you got to be over the moon and be like, okay, we hit a home run with this guy. Nailed it. Just, you know, okay, he did against those teams for real. We got something here. We got something big. We're in the midst of something big here. Just got to build around this guy now. And have the weapons around him. Especially when Saquon returns. That'll happen. Now, here's the deal with the Giants. This week's game. If they win this game, right? Let's say the Giants win this week's game. They beat the Minnesota Vikings. Now they're sitting at 3-2. and two. I think it's fair. It's fair. To start dreaming. Okay. Maybe this team could surprise us. We know their defense isn't great. Can they be decent and the offense can steal them some games? You know, they're 3-2. and two. Can they beat the Arizona Cardinals? Right? Can they beat the Jets? Can they steal a game against, like, the, the Packers or Eagles at some point? And then beat the Dolphins and beat the Redskins again. So let's say, let's say, let's say they beat the, the really bad teams on their schedule. Washington, they play again week 16. Miami, the Jets right now, even though at week 10 they'll be a better team, and Arizona. Those are four teams that are really pretty bad right now. Okay? So let's say they can win those four games. They win this Viking games. That's five games. That's sad. They're at seven right there. All they got to do is steal a couple games. Right? Let's say they could steal a game against Philly. Steal a game against either Green Bay or Chicago or Dallas or Detroit. Just get two of those games out of all those I just listed. And now they're at nine and seven. Maybe they sneak in. I don't know. I think it's fair. Do I think they'll do it? Probably not. I don't think they're that, they're that good. Now maybe Daniel Jones is just that good that they could do it. I mean, that's not out of the realm of possibility. Who knows? But if I had to bet against it, probably not. But if they win this week, at least it's fairly reasonable to have that hope. This week is sort of going to be the ultimate indicator of where this team is headed. They could steal this game. Get this game against a Vikings team that's probably more talented than, than them top to bottom. But it is at MetLife Stadium. And the Giants do have Daniel Jones, who's injected some life into them. They have some life. You can dream. I had a dream that the Giants... Could be a winning team this season. Yes, you can say that after 
Only after, and if they do, beat the Minnesota Vikings. And it helps that the Vikings are a mess right now. And the Giants, for once, on the other end of the spectrum, they look like they're actually trending in the right direction. For the first time in a long time, you look at this team, and the major reason about it, really the only reason for it, is because you have Daniel Jones. And I wrote about it this week. You have their two and two. They have Daniel Jones. Finally, there's reason for hope. And it's true. It is true about this New York Giants team right now. There is reason for hope. Especially entering this game against the Vikings. Team that has problems. Let's get into that right now. On to the next one. All right, let's welcome in my counterpart, the Minnesota Vikings expert extraordinaire, Courtney Cronin, who covers the team as well as anybody out there. How are we doing, Courtney? I'm good. Just uh, trying to keep my uh, head above water right now as we're dealing with some really weird things this week, from apology okay. game to... Everything's, going, everything's uh, you know, hitting the fan up there. <laughs> it's week five, too, which is uh, just makes me, makes me believe it's going to be a long winter. Yeah, I was. I, we were just talking before we started this, but this reminded me of the Giants in what 2017. The thing was, the Giants in 2017 were, I think, what were they like, 0 and five before they won a game. Yeah, the, the Vikings are only two and two. I know it's it's wild how this whole thing has kind of unfolded, but I think just the way that they've lost games, like Kirk Cousins losing the game with that interception in Green Bay after having statistically one of the worst performances of his career and then what happened in Chicago and a total no-show uh, from the offense in the run game I mean I think for a team that already had you know high expectations for this year but also so much at stake for jobs and everything else and Kirk Cousins contract potentially weighing really heavy on a lot of people right now right. Um, it just never felt like there's room for error and it still doesn't feel like that which is why I think the sky is falling type uh, notion that you hear, like it, it's probably more realistic than most people are letting on. Uh, it's what, are definitely Giants, very... what are the Giants looking forward to here? I mean, what are they what are they getting here with the Vikings this week? Week five of the season coming into the the Meadowlands, East Rutherford. Like, what what state is this Minnesota Vikings team in? A very fragile one, I think. I think that's not. Uh, like I mean, you got you've got Kirk Cousins apologizing on a podcast to his receiver for <laughs> failing to hit him on wide open throws deep downfield. I mean, it's a really weird time for this Vikings team, and I don't want to like say that it's too soon to say this, but it's definitely a must win game for Minnesota because I think that you're looking at a snowball effect here if they lose. Uh, in New York, and then they've got to come home and play the Eagles, who were my Super Bowl preseason favorites, um, and are still a really, really good team. And then you have to go on the road and play the Lions. I mean, th- you could be looking at three losses in a row right there. Yeah, so, so this, this is basically must-win for the Vikings. As oh, way yeah. You, in my opinion, mind. yes. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, week five, that's, that's big time already. So from an outsider perspective, right, we see Mike, Mike Zimmer wants to run the ball. That's all he wants to do. Right, that that's what it seems like from the outside. He doesn't really have a desire to be a passing team. He wants to run it, run, be one an old school running team. And even Pat Shermer said that today, right? Yeah. So now Kirk Cousins, Adam Thielen makes these comments. Kirk Cousins apologizes, like you said, weird situation. What do you think about the possibility of them 
opening it up this week now that they come in and all this drama surrounding the team. Is that, is that even realistic or is Zimmer not care and he's just going to stick to his guns and this is he's going to be this run, 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 run team? Well, I think it's interesting because you've heard all offseason for the last nine months um, what the Vikings want to do, what their game plan is. Like Teams know they're going to run. Teams know there's no threat of Kirk Cousin pa- Cousins passing, uh, especially on those early downs. So do they change it up this week? By the way, in today's game, that's just sounds, I know. You know how ridiculous that sounds. It's 2019. It's a, we're trying to make 1986 happen all, all over again, and you know it works against really bad teams like the Raiders, who right. uh, are in a, their own state of dismay. But I think that you know that's still the recipe that Zimmer wants. He wants his defense to win these games, as Pat told us today on the conference call. There's a lot of reading between the lines there. Where he's like, you know, I, I loved my time in Minnesota, learned a lot about the old school notion of football, the old school notion that had a modern twist or whatever he wanted to say. We know what you meant. Like, yeah. I mean, Zimmer wants to win these games with his defense and, and good field position and a very conservative offensive approach. I don't think you can you can maybe, maybe I say that with like a big grain of salt, maybe do that on the way to winning the division, you're not going to win a Super Bowl that way. Not in today's game. So uh, You're on the same page as me on this, clearly. Because the Giants, by the way, and, and Pat Shermer said this today, think about this, this is even more ridiculous. They're building an old-school team also. They're building a team in the same way. This is, Shermer said this, in the same way kind of that the Vikings are. But take get, take this for a second. They don't even have a good defense or good defensive players. That's how. So that's how ridiculous I think their team-building philosophy is right now. You seem to be on the same page as me with the Vikings, and the Vikings at least have that defensive side of the football. Yeah, I mean, this is what Zimmer's wanted. I mean, it's the reason that John Filippo got fired last year because Zimmer wanted them to run the ball more. Filippo saw the approach of, hey, we're trailing in games. We have to abandon the run at some point, especially when it's going nowhere with a bad offensive line at that time, um, kind of a hodgepodge of running backs up until Dalvin Cook came back, um, they weren't effective with it. So they had to drop back and pass a lot, and he was doing what he thought they could do to win. Um, But you know the limitations of Kirk Cousins' game. At that point, and even this year, we know the limitations so far of this offensive line. Um, When the run game doesn't work, you're not one-dimensional, you're zero-dimensional. And that's a problem because the passing game is so rusty at this point, and you have Kirk Cousins... uh, making checkdowns to the fullback in the flat when he's got Thielen and Diggs at the top of their route wide open downfield, it makes no sense. So I, I don't know. I mean, digging your heels in is a good way to put it because Mike Zimmer is not just going to abandon this and be like, all right, we're going to you know become the Kansas City Chiefs now. It's the only way we can win. Um, he wants this. This is what he wants, and he's said it all along, and I think that that's why there's so much at stake because – he created this offense. This isn't just Kevin Stefanski and Gary Kubiak's offense. This is the Mike Zimmer influence on all that. And he goes down with the ship either way if this thing doesn't work out. So, from an out, I mean, Adam Deal and Stefan Diggs each have 14 touches. From an outsider perspective, again, seems ridiculous, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, do, do they make, first of all, what, what do you think the chances Diggs even plays in this game that the Giants have to face him? You know, it's really interesting. I think that this is probably going to become the biggest storyline to watch uh, over the next two days. I mean, if he comes back on Thursday and says, my bad, I just need, I was having a moment. Uh, It's all good. I want to be here. That's one thing. That'd be great. Uh, But if he doesn't and you're wondering, okay, is he not going to play against the Giants? That's the perfect opportunity for the Vikings basically to lure him back here to be like, hey, if we can win this game without you, 
Like, you better get your butt back here because you're going to keep racking up these fines. And maybe he doesn't care. Maybe this is bigger than something that we're talking about right now. But um, it yeah, is really... when it's in their pocketbook. They care. They care. I, oh, they when care. They when care. It's in their pocketbook, they care. It's just, it's such a weird situation. Um, and it's one to keep a close eye on because if he doesn't play then it just creates more speculation over the trade rumors and, you know, is he not happy here? But like I've said a million times today, there's no incentive to trade him. There is none. He took a team-friendly deal. Um, They basically locked up the rights to this guy for five to six years after he signed in 2018. Um, And it'd be stupid to trade a player that good. Like, you're in win-now mode. Why would you do that? And you cannot – don't even talk about trading the first-round pick next year. They may need that to get a quarterback. Yeah. Hey, well, you know, it's it's weird because you sound with the Vikings, you sound like the Giants with Eli at quarterback. Like that's yeah. kind of the situation that they were stuck in, which isn't good for them, obviously, because they signed Cousins as a free agent a couple of years back. Uh, so I'm curious from an outsider perspective, you, they come into this game. You spoke to a bunch of people on the defense and the team. What do they think of the Giants with Daniel Jones right now? Like, what's the perception of Daniel Jones out there right now? Well, he's a, he's a different quarterback than Eli. Um, certainly, you know that. And I think that <laughs> rookie quarterbacks at times have humbled the Vikings defense. I mean, Mike Zimmer said all that he needed to say up there today of we're going to respect these guys, treat them like they're all pro. Uh, the way that Jones moves around and some of the um, improving that he does and, and the escapability, like that's, that's important. But I think the way that you beat this guy and, and what Mike Zimmer has done in the past is – kind of forcing him into taking away those short throws the stuff that's really that security blanket for quarterbacks and forcing right. him into making quick shots downfield where he doesn't have any time to think. Um, and Pat Shermer knows the lethalness of that pass rush. I mean, he went against it in practice for, you know, every single day for two years. So I think that you're not going to be able to mitigate that pass rush all that much, especially with those two defensive ends and as well as Everson Griffin's playing right now. But, you know, they may they may look at this as we have to let Daniel Jones, because Kirk may still be in his feelings, still be kind of having, you know, some confidence issues while they're going to say from the outside that he's not. It's clearly that he was rocked back there with the protection. Um, and I don't know how you just all of a sudden go and trust your protection and say, I don't care if I got hit the last play. I'm not going to get hit this play. Like, that's, that's right. just neither here nor there. Um, and it might be one of those situations, like, where where they're thinking – if we're going to lose this game, it's going to be because Daniel Jones beat us because we know that Kirk and the offense can't come through. And I think that they honestly feel like they have the upper hand uh, just with this quarterback matchup, just given kind of the, some of the success that they've had with rookie quarterbacks in the past. But right. let's not forget um, Josh Allen last year, week three. I mean, that's still kind of a haunting memory for this team. Yeah, they got smacked. Yes, and hurdled. <laughs> so, you know, it's funny because – Everything you said to me, it's conjuring memories because that's what was happening with Eli. And my my opinion is that, and I've been saying this for years, it was almost like he was shell-shocked into just checking it down. And now, actually, and you talk about rookie quarterback, it's almost like the opposite, though. Because now they have a guy who's willing to take it, chances and throw the ball down the field a little bit. Whereas before, they were just third, third and long, willing to take that check down every play, just willing to take that behind the line of scrimmage. I mean, Eli threw 26 passes at or behind the line of scrimmage in the first two games of the season. Daniel Jones steps in in week three and throws two. So that was the difference between, like, you know, like you're saying, with Kirk Cousins not wanting to throw the ball behind the line of scrimmage. And you know what? It never changed for Eli. It was like, it was, I feel like it was too late. It was already embedded in his head. And uh, from an outsider perspective, let me, let me hear what you think of this. 
it seems like Thielen's comments to me weren't necessarily at uh, Cousins as much as it was almost at uh, Zimmer's offense. Is, is that you think you think that the frustration from them is, is as much on the offense as it is Cousins, or is that or you think it's more on Cousins than the offense? Well, you could read it a number of ways, and I know that Adam has come out now twice on the podcast and then on Monday with us clarifying that it was not directed at Cousins, it was not directed at play calling, but he's got a point when he talks about if we knew the run game was not going to work every single game. Like, Zimmer has said that. So why can't you get the passing game going? Well, then it goes into, well, your quarterback's just having a really tough time right now, and the protection sucks, and everything else is just, you know, a dumpster fire. Um, So I didn't take it as him taking shots at Kirk. Um, They do need to make plays down the field though that that's something and he didn't say it in a way where I felt like that was throwing shade at his quarterback I think it's more scheming you know kind of just like the scheme and the overall like just the general scheme that they have right now that it's not working and we have to find a fix for this because we're getting so deep in the weeds of the season already in week five and the offense is coming apart that's a pretty scary place for a receiver a thousand yard receiver from last year to be in well, you'll like this, and I think this kind of, you know, the Vikings could look at this and be like, wow, this is this is our offense, and this is what we need to do. Saquon Barkley runs for 100 yards each of the first two games. The Giants offense scores a total of 31 points. And this is not a knock on Saquon Barkley. He's awesome. He gets injured in week three. Daniel Jones comes in. All of a sudden, they're throwing the ball around the yard. They score 32 points in week three alone. I mean, that's just the way that the game is these days. It's slinging mm-hmm. around the yard, right? And and that's how you score points. You don't. That's where the points come in this game by the big plays in the passing game. Which takes me to my next question: Is how much do the guys over there? When you look at the Giants, the offense that Shermer has now with Daniel Jones, is it? It, it reminds me, at least, is it similar? And do you look at it as almost the same offense as what he had with the Vikings when he had Case Keenum that year? I think so. And Pat is so good at scheming around his quarterback's weaknesses and to their strengths. Like a lot of quarter, a lot of offensive coordinators will talk about doing that. Right. I've seen it happen really one time, and that and that's with Pat Shermer. He was so good. Because Sam Bradford is a different quarterback than Teddy Bridgewater is a different quarterback yeah. than Case Keenum. Like, well, it's, it's like Eli to Daniel Jones right there. Exactly. And like, look, at, look at the drop-off. Like, there really hasn't been much. There's only been kind of an uptick. And I know it's early in the season, but you see a lot of similarities in that in that standpoint. And I think just from, like, the perspective of, you know, looking at what this means big picture wise, like it does remind me from the little I've seen of Giants games, but you know, overall scheme, it does remind me a lot of what happened here in Minnesota in 2017. A lot of those rush, uh, you know, crossing routes, guys running across the middle, utilizing the slot receiver, getting open with the speed, Sterling Shepard, Evan Ingram, same thing. Yeah. I think that's kind of a lot of screens, a lot of stuff like that. Yeah, for sure. And now, I mean, that's what I think Pat Shermer's best at. I mean, he is best, in my opinion, at scheming guys open. His offense gets wide receivers open. I mean, Evan Ingram led the league last year in average yards of separation. Uh, that does, there, I think we could figure out why the Giants' offense wasn't overly successful, considering their guys were running open. There's Odell, Sterling Shepard, uh, Evan Ingram, and Saquon Barkley. That's an insane weaponry. But uh, So now they're going against right a vikings defense that's pretty good and 
Pat Shermer, we talked about, should be able to scheme guys open. But the flip side is he's been a little strange. I mean, was he? He's a, he does some very strange things. He even publicly he gets uh, very defensive and starts you know patting himself on the back a little bit. Did you? Was that? Is this a new thing? Did you get that? Part of I've Shermer. definitely noticed it a little bit more, like him willing to kind of have a go back and forth mentality with the media. And I don't know if that's just like a New York thing. Um, Pat was very much like, Probably I am got not the down head- last year. I, I think that's really what it is. Yeah. And I think that like, I mean, he was not like that in Minnesota. I mean, he has a very dry sense about him, yeah, um, sure. but like he can crack a joke and you kind of have to like. If you're not in on it, it might be might go over your head, but he's got a really like dry wit about him. Um, and I know that like when he was here, it's awkward though. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he was the it's offensive coach when humor, he was I here. Mean... Sorry, go ahead. He was the offensive coach when he was right. here. Zimmer was the defensive coach. Like when you talk about not going into the other room and meddling or anything like that, like that was a great example because like Pat. I mean, think about the offensive coordinators that Zimmer has had. Um, Norv quit. DeFilippo was fired. Kevin Stefanski was put in this role, um, you know, 13 years after starting with the Vikings. I mean, Pat was really kind of, he's kind of the one who got away. It yeah, feels like. It, I mean, they had a really good working relationship. Yeah. I think that old school, old school approach that they, they talked about really works for the two of them. I, I really do. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So, so surprised that Mike Remmers is holding his own at right tackle. No, because that's his natural position. That's where he should have played last year. <laughs> so it's just the Vikings being silly and just trying to make something that wasn't there. I mean, yeah, he's, he was, he's not he a great. Was never right supposed tackle. to be a right. He was never supposed to be a right guard here in Minnesota. So it's uh, it's interesting. Yeah, he's never. He's not a great right tackle. Let's be honest. But the he's John- above average. That's what yeah. I. That's what I put it as. I think he's, I, I bet. I think his best is probably average. But with the Giants, I mean, they've had probably. The worst, or I mean, if they're not the worst in the running for the worst right tackle play for like three straight years. So if he even plays decent, it's it's such an upgrade that it's like, all right, they at least they have something at right tackle, you know, like a guy that can at least get in the way of guys. So the bar was set so low that I think you're like, okay, Mike Rammers, that's fine, and and I guess that's what you sort of would expect from him. Yeah, exactly. And I think that the thing there is like, you know, Pat knows this guy. Like, look at some of the guys that have like gone to from the Vikings to the Giants and from the Vikings to the Panthers, like the last few years, like two coordinators that, you know, know a lot of this personnel. Um, And I think that that's part of the reason why Remmers, especially for an offensive line in New York that needed help, was brought on. All about trust. Right. They they can trust him to at least do the right thing. It's not a great player, but at least they know. He'll be in the right place and do the right thing and be able to hold his own. So. Oh, for sure. Sunday, two and two Vikings against the two and two Giants. What's your prediction? You know, right now, kind of given the chaos that we're dealing with, I don't think we're. I don't think I'm picking the Vikings. Like, I don't have a score ah. for you right now, but I don't think I'm picking the Vikings. Man, I'm probably gonna pick the Vikings. I, I just, you know, Daniel Jones and that offense. We're going to see. This is a real test for Daniel Jones. How, I mean, is he really that good? You got the, the Vikings and the Patriots. Yeah, I mean, it's a perfect well, test to find out the strength of your team. offense, for sure. Yeah, so, I mean, it might be hard for the Giants to score some points. It really might. I mean, with a rookie quarterback and this, with no Saquon. But this is going to be the test. So, we'll see We'll see what happens. I guess you're not 
you're not trusting the Vikings offense at this point to get it right. Yeah, that's kind of where I'm at because I think that Pat knows this defense. Like he can say, oh, well, you know, I haven't been around it for two years, whatever. Pat knows this defense. He won the, I think it's easier, honestly, for offensive guys to go. Like Zimmer hasn't changed his defense. I mean, he's added wrinkles, like, you know, some things okay. like that. But it's easier for, I think, an offensive guy to go against the former head coach who had the defense that he went against in practice than it would be for Zimmer to go against Pat's offense, if that makes sense, because he's probably changed up a bunch of the verbiage and all the plays, and yeah, yeah. it still kind of is the same in the base, but he's not going to know what the plays are, and I mean, if you're the offense, you have the snap count, that's your number one advantage, uh, and you know what the plays are, so that's kind of where I'm at with that. Not very confident in the Minnesota Vikings. Courtney not Kirk. right now. <laughs> not right now. Yeah, we'll see. Maybe by the end of the week you turn around, but uh, Stephon Diggs comes back. But I guess, I mean, the, the the thinking from the outside is I'm looking at it saying, oh, you know, all right, they called each other out. It's either, okay, they're going to – this is the game. They go in there. They're actually going to let them throw the ball. They're going to break out, or they're just going to completely crumble and fall apart, and it seems about to become a complete mess. Well, so if, if we're already on the tipping point of that, uh, it might not be that far off from becoming a full-blown dumpster fire. Well, have fun covering it, I guess. It creates uh, interesting scenarios. They'll, they'll want you on TV a bunch, because uh, at, yeah. least the, at least for the short term. But then by the second half of the year, you're going to be uh, MIA, if that's the I'll case. Be, I'll be as obsolete as Diggs and Thielen are in this offense from time oh. to time. All right. With that, we're out of here. Courtney Cronin, I appreciate it. On to the next one. Thanks, Jordan. Thank you, Courtney. That was great. <laughs> I appreciate it. Not a problem. Vikings. Jeez. God, what a disaster. Oh, baby. The Minnesota Vikings. You need that gif right now of the dumpster that's just flaming on fire, right? That's what it sounds like. Woo! I don't know how things are going to end there. But even more reason for the Giants to make sure that they build a team that doesn't rely on almost exclusively on the running game and that they let Daniel Jones be Daniel Jones and throw the ball around the yard because man, you don't, you don't want that. That reminds me for real. And I mentioned this before of that 2017 giant season where Ben McAdoo eventually got fired. Everything just went off the rails. Janaris Jenkins just didn't show up. He got suspended. Eli Apple got suspended for his actions. Dominique Rogers Cromarty. And this is really what I was thinking about. I remember what happened was I got a call from somebody and they said, yo, DRC told me he's not playing this week. Like they're making him practice, but he has no, he's not playing. They were going to play the Broncos that week. So this was like right around week five or six. The Giants hadn't won a game yet and nobody really gave him a chance. And then they went, by the way, they went into Denver and Smack Denver around Orleans Dark where ran the ball over the place. And so the way that went down, this is my Jordan on the beat, by the way, where I'm going to give you a little taste of what it's like to be a beat writer or a reporter for the covering the Giants and the NFL in general. So somebody calls me and tells me, you know, DRC says he's not playing. The Giants still have him out there practicing and they're going through the charade, you know, like that they're pretending he's going to play, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, huh? Okay, so I'm outside the facility. Everything, you know, all the, we all the other reporters are in the media room as I as I find this out, and I'm trying to figure out what the heck is going on. But the Giants are at practice at this time, okay, and 
So no, I, there's nobody I could like reach out to and be like, yo, what the heck is going on here? And we're trying to figure it out. I'm talking to Dan Graziano, who you all know. He covered the team for a while. And we're trying to figure out what does this mean? What are they doing with DRC? I saw him at practice and uh, what's going to happen here? And so we're making calls. We're calling around. We're trying desperately to figure out what's going on with DRC. Because at this point, all we know is that he's not playing. And he's not playing, but we don't really know why okay and we don't know what's behind it and we didn't really get at the time why he's out of practice so these are the kind of things like you you know a little bit you know a piece of the story but you got to find out the whole story the full story and then probably like an hour later the giants send out an email saying he's suspended and he had left the building and walked out of a meeting and so all this other stuff went down I was probably half a day behind the story in reality. And, you know, things kept snowballing. And it, it reminds you that when teams do this, it's a big mistake, right? You can't put on a charade. The Giants did this once under Coughlin. Coughlin did it. And uh, Pat Flaherty, the offensive line coach, they put out a dummy offensive line at practice, right, to try and trick the media. And all it does is piss people off inside the locker room, right? Nobody wants to be put out there like a pawn knowing they're not going to play. And I think it was, uh, not Will Beatty, uh, James Brewer, who was put out as the starting right tackle in the dummy offensive line. People are coming up to him in the locker room after asking him if he's ex- you know excited about the possibility of playing. He has to go up there and lie. I think I told this story before, but if I didn't. And then all it does is get people upset. In the locker room, you know, and eventually it's going to come out. It's not going to work. It's not worth your efforts to be uh, misleading. And that's kind of what happened with the DRC thing. You had him out there as like a pawn and a fraud pretending like he's going to practice uh, while the media is out there at practice. And remember, the media, if you don't know, the media is out there only for like 10 or 15 minutes. They they warm up, they stretch, and they do like the early um, – individual part of practice where they basically just run individual drills and then they go off to team drills and you're usually not there. So by doing that and perpetuating this fraud, it really does no good except make people in the locker room upset. So James Brewer was mad and I got whiff of that and I find out, hey, this was a dummy offensive line. I obviously reported and the Giants looked dumb for doing it. The coaches look silly for worrying about that in the first place. They're worrying about putting out a dummy offensive line because they don't want to show who's going to be their starters, really. And then they make a guy go out there in front of the media, in front of the public. And this is how things just go off the rails, and that's just the start. And then Janaris Jenkins just didn't show up. He was his birthday. He was out partying. Didn't want to come back from the bye. Just made a executive business decision. Eh, didn't want to come back. That's where the Giants were that year. And that's what that whole year was like. Eli Apple was a disaster. He yelled at some member of ownership at some point. Not exactly sure who, but somebody who was a Mara in the Mara family led to him in part getting suspended and an argument with a coach on the field. Everything. You put it all together. It was a disaster of a season. And covering a disaster of a season 
is good for you as a reporter in the short term in regards to, okay, they want me to do TV when the guy gets suspended and this and that, and it's relevant, and it's a good story for like a minute. But then once it comes down to the game, nobody cares about the games. Team's a mess. They were a disaster. They won 3-13. and It stunk. So by week 14, 15, 16, nobody cared about the New York Giants, except that they were going to fire Ben McAdoo and Jerry Reese, which they did, because the whole Eli benching went down. So wow, what a season. What a season. The Minnesota Vikings are on their way to that if they don't get themselves in order here. Now I don't know if it'll fall apart to that degree. Their defense is too good. They're actually two and two. The Giants went three and thirteen that season. They already have two wins. They can match the Giants win total with a win this week. And they're favored in the game. As for my prediction, I'm still going with the Minnesota Vikings. I like what the Giants are doing. I think they're trending in the right direction. But this is still a good Vikings defense. Right? They're still a top 10-ish defense. They don't let up a lot of points. It's hard for me to imagine. They haven't let up over 21 points this year. I don't see the Giants scoring over 21 points. I see the Giants struggling to score points against this against this defense. With the Vikings relentlessly pressuring Daniel Jones. So I see... Vikings 27, getting healthy, Giants 13. Now maybe, maybe Stefan Diggs doesn't play. I don't really know how that's going to pan out right now. Maybe things just start torpedoing out of control. But as of now, I'm taping this on Wednesday night. I think the Minnesota Vikings will get right in this game. More talented team, more talented roster. Top. I mean, how many players on the Vikings defense right now do we think are better than anyone on the Giants' defense. Seriously. I mean, it's a lot. I'm going to pull up their depth chart right now. Uh, but, I mean, Everson Griffin. Giants don't have a pass rusher as good as him. Not even close. Even Daniil Hunter probably would be one of the, the best player on the Giants' defense. So they have two pass rushers better than any pass rusher on the Giants. Linville Joseph. Probably a better defense alignment than any of the Giants linemen, right? Anthony Barr, Eric Kendricks. That's two linebackers that would start on the Giants in a millisecond. Giants got major problems with linebackers. I'm not sure there's a worse linebacker core in the NFL right now than what they're going to throw out there on Sunday. I mean, who's who might start? Alec Ogletree still struggling with a hamstring injury. David Mayo is your starting middle linebacker with either potentially Tate, with probably Tay Davis. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Ryan Connolly losing him, by the way. I didn't mention in the bad earlier. That's a big blow to them. He was actually playing pretty well. Looked like a promising young player. Uh, was their best linebacker so far, and now they don't have him. At cornerback, Xavier Rhodes. Probably i take him over Janaris Jenkins. Harrison Smith easily take him over any Giants safety. I, I love Harrison Smith as a player. I think he's a stud. Stud, stud, stud. So let's see. I said Hunter, Joseph, Griffin, Kendricks, Barr, Rhodes, and Harrison Smith. Seven players that I would probably take over any player on the Giants' entire defense the Vikings have. That's a pretty big talent disparity. And for that reason, despite all their problems, Vikings 27, Giants 13. And that's the end of this episode of Breaking Big Blue. You can catch us anywhere you get your podcasts. Feel free to email me. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. I'll do Giants After Dark next episode. 
Uh, next week's going to be a short week, so I'll try and update you. We'll do either uh, a Giants After Dark on Twitter, or we'll bang out an early week episode of Breaking Big Blue. But that's it for this episode. I'm Jordan Ronan. See you next time.